HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, Greg. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I feel I like am... for the first time I can say I'm doing well and not have to put the caveat behind it. It's like, well, you know, considering how baseline yeah. shitty everything is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're kind of finally seeing and even feeling some of the light on our skin, right? Um, of mm-hmm. the end of the, this long ass tunnel we've been in. Um, so, yeah, I would say largely I am exhausted, uh, but that's been true for you know, at least a year, maybe more. Uh, but uh, I am seeing some of the fruits of the labor starting to blossom. So um, starting next week, one week from today, uh, we're going to launch um, Spritz by Amoria Margo. So our outdoor cafe, we're going to hang on to um, throughout this season and maybe even throughout the year, because we know it's going to be a slow return to coming into such a tiny space, even when it's allowed people are going to still be a little bit itchy about going that close to one another. So we're mm-hmm. leaning heavily into our new concept for outdoor. We're calling it Spritz by Amori Margo, summer 2021. Uh, we're going to have our core six drinks that have always been on the menu, the old-fashioned Manhattan Negroni, the Deep Pompelmo, the Sharpie Mustache, and the Adamaro Sazerac. And then we're going to have a, a list of eight different uh, long drinks that are effervescent, Spritz style, that'll involve Amaro, Vermouth, and Spirits as well. Um, so we're kind of just, and, and we're putting out these beautiful umbrellas. Uh, Natalie Check is coming over to make some cool... Um, murals for us that uh, we're putting on the walls outside so it's going to have this kind of piazza appeal and instead of letting what what went on this past year sort of happen to us we're taking control and making it happen for us well that just sounds fun yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty, i think it's going to be uh, i shudder to say it might be delightful <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time i experienced delight i don't know like... yeah uh so hopefully we'll have some of that on the outdoor cafe at a more spritz by amoria margo I love it. Are you going to do these on, because you've got what, two draft lines there, three draft lines? I've got two. Uh, only one of them is effervesced. One of them is just, a, um, just pushes out a flat cocktail. Um, but uh, we're going to get, um, well, we, we always serve Topo Chico as our sparkling water there. So we'll have Topo Chico to use as our seltzer. We're also going to get some, um, you know, the seltzer, like ISI style, but the more sort of classic looking seltzer uh, canisters. Uh, we might even do tableside seltzering of the cocktail itself. We'll see about if that 
it's feasible, but it sounds fun right now, but it also might be too much of a pain in the ass to actually pull off. Yeah, it does sound fun. Plus, I mean, people love, people so the love drink to was, see. So yeah. the drinks would come out with a service staff in in the tall glass that we've gotten for this uh, serve. Um, and it would have the ice, obviously, and, you know, the vermouth, the Amaro, and maybe a spirit, depending on which drink it is. And then the seltzer canister on the side, and we would seltzer them table side. That might might work. We, uh, once we get them, we'll try it out. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll have to scrap it. But, you know, we're in the experimentation phase. Yeah, man. But we're launching next Wednesday, so it's going to be great. I'll be I'll be there, man. Supposed to be, I think it's supposed to? to be a beautiful day. Ah, uh, yeah. well, let's see. I mean, uh, we were off last week. Yep. Uh, which means that I got to celebrate Cinco de Birthday. Uh, That's right. Style, which is very fun. Um, That's right. Born on born on the fifth of May. It's a great day to be born if you like tequila. Um, but one other thing that's <laughs> I happened. I feel like you're forced we were... to like tequila if you're born on the fifth of May. <laughs> yeah, tequila and taco. I mean, I don't know. It came to me very naturally. Imagine I'm imagining someone who like for the poor crusty soul that has a birthday on May 5th and can't stand Mexican food and agave spirits. I never want to meet that person. I feel like we'd have nothing in common. Yeah. Um, but one other cool thing that's happened since the last time we were on air, uh, you can sit at the bar now in New York yes. City. Which is awesome and kind of weird, but delight. speaking of things that are delightful, I've done it a couple of times and it's just so nice. I mean, you've, you've been you know, beating the drum for a while of like, you know, it's like, I'm not going to go back until we can get like the true bar experience. But is yep. this the, is this the true, true enough bar experience for you? Have you gone back and done this? Well, for me, I kind of made a commitment to the notion that I wasn't going to go anywhere until 30 days, three full months past the date of uh, 100% occupancy allowance. And that is to give all of the places that I know and love and enjoy the opportunity to get their game back on, you know? I still think there's going to be some awkwardness and some bumps in the road. And I don't want to be, I don't want to cause anybody that stress. And I don't want to be a part of that stress as it's happening either. So I'm going to refrain, but I, I'm curious to hear how it's going for you, knocking the rust off of that you know, mechanism. But also, you know, I can give you my side because now I have people sitting at my bar um, reserved by Amore Margo. Um, and it's, it's certainly unique. It's strange for me to have people approach me. It's, I think they at first seem a little bit, uh, you know, you can see like as they're, it's almost like being in New Orleans for the, for the, with someone who's never been there before. And you see them walk out of a bar with a drink in their hand and they're like, can I, is this, can I really, is this okay? This is okay, is this right? Loud? Right? You know, they, they, they creep out of the bar with a drink in their hand and they're like, this is, this is okay, right? So it's kind of that feeling right now. Um, I'm sure that'll shake off pretty quickly, especially here in New York or cosmopolitan areas where, where people are so accustomed to saddling up to the bar. But right now it's, I'm only going to see it from that one direction for now. But I'm happy to hear that you're out there. How's it going? It's going from what I've seen well. I haven't done it. I haven't done it on a Friday or a Saturday night for that exact reason where I don't think I'm ready to. And frankly, you know, I think everyone is shaking off the rust both, you know, on both sides of the bar. But it's just it proves a theory that I've sort of had for a very, very long time which is that there's all, there's been a lot of hand wringing over the past 14 months of like oh when people like you know when we're when we're allowed to go out will people want to or will we stay away like will we still be afraid of people and like you know the question is like will people want to go out and socialize once we're allowed to and my answer is just yes next question like yeah you were we're a social species people miss it maybe not 100% of people but enough people that you're going to get folks who are out and just jazzed to be there. And that's sort of what I'm seeing. And I've been heartened that other patrons are very respectful. You know, it hasn't been a lot of, from what I've seen, 
you know, people coming out and expecting the exact same experience that they put down and walked away from in March of 2020. They're coming back and they know that things are different and they know to expect different things and that the bartenders are really, really doing a Herculean effort to make this a welcoming and hospitable and fun space. And so far, and what I've seen... Don't forget, I, and think do it that, I think that's the hesitancy, is the safety. Yeah. But I think it's it's been nice to see that people's hesitancy isn't just based on their own safety, but it's based on the safety and, frankly, the, an understanding of the well-being of the people on the other side of the bar. That's how it looks to me. How does it feel on your side? I mean, of course, we're taking every precaution. We're still only allowing 10 people maximum. We still only allow um, maximum of six of those people to be at the bar proper, um, and they have space in between them. Uh, and we're a reserved seating situation at Amore Margot Reserve. Um, so, you know, everyone comes in at the same time and leaves at the same time. So we're, we have a lot of protocols just based on the service itself that are in place that are making people feel comfortable. Um, but still, as I mentioned, when they walk into the door, you know, cause we, we hold them all in the, in the store, the general store before we allow them into the room when they all arrive. Uh, and the ones who are, you know, who are lucky enough to get the bar seats, they still approach it. Like, is this, am I, is it, is it okay? Am I doing the right thing? Um, which is great. That just means people are still keeping caution as the watchword and, and, and paying attention. So I'm happy to see that. And I'm happy to have, you know, there's certainly some hesitancy within me, but I'm happy to see people coming back to the bar. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're reemerging and it's, it's been too long. So I'm happy to do it. Just in time for the 17 year cicadas to come out too. If that's a metaphor, then God damn it. I have never seen one before in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All just, metaphor. yeah. And then, and then all they do is just, you know, eat and screw. And then that's their whole summer, which really like, hope, fingers crossed, summer of 2021, <laughs> baby. The summer of cicadas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 2021. Uh, well, on that note, let's, uh, <laughs> I have no pivot here. I have no, no way to segue. I have a feeling our guest is in the virtual studio with us today, Greg. <laughs> in the virtual studio with us today, we have Jeffrey Morgenthaler, uh, author of Drinking Distilled and just all around 25 year veteran of 25, the 25 years in the bar industry. Jeff, dude, thank you so much for joining us, man. What's I'm going like on with a, you? I'm like a cicada with a longer lifespan. <laughs> 25 25 uh, years yeah, so you, I want to jump right into that you know you just posted a couple of days ago on April 25th on your uh, highly uh, popular Instagram Jeff Morgan highly popular Instagram yeah, yeah you're totally. popular man shut up you're popular um, <laughs> that you that you crossed your 25 year mark 25 fucking years it says at the top um, and you yourself kind of can't even believe that you, you began bartending your bartending career in 1996 talk about what it was like back then Let's let's hear the Oh my god! I mean, like first of all, like I I feel like I have to clarify. I don't know why I have to clarify the these days, but like I have to clarify that that's that's twenty five years behind the bar, like working shifts. You know, like I, I there are I feel like there are a lot of people in this business who are like, oh, I've been a bartender for thirty years. They haven't worked in twenty years, but right. like they did work ten. I've been you know I've been making drinks, pulling shifts for twenty five long years which is which is kind of rare these days you know like i say like a lot you know the 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 move seems to be like work for five years build a big name on social media and then just kind of cash out i thought it took you know i thought it took 30 years to cash out so now i'm like really behind the ball 
but you're only five years away. I'm ready to cash out, man. I'm like, give me that cushy, <laughs> give me that cushy consulting job. I'm tired of pulling floor mats. Well, talk to us a little bit about what it was like back then and not necessarily compare it to what it's like today, but like just where, what, what was that origin story like when you were back in Eugene, Oregon, tending bar at, Bars the, were, at the tiny tavern? Bar. You know, it's like, you know, I talk to, I talk to like my younger staff sometimes and I'm like, you know, back then they didn't, there weren't like really like fancy bars like that didn't really exist certainly not in smaller town like in bigger like in new york you guys have always had fancy bars san francisco's always had fancy bars. like big cities have always had fancy bars but like in the rest of the world you know smaller towns like you if you wanted like a fancy drink which most people didn't but if you did you would have to go to like a restaurant you know or maybe like a hotel or something um there were just kind of like bars bars were all it was kind of homogenous there were like you know neighborhood bars and then there were you know there were clubs and there were sports bars but there weren't like <clears throat> you know it's not like it is now like a more a more a, a more amargo like that you know that's a crazy like people kind of take it for granted now. that's a crazy concept oh yeah Should, you know when work. you think back like 25 years ago like you know, it's it's not only a fancy bar, but it, it's a fancy bar that like serves like one type of thing. Yeah, like um, uh, it shouldn't work. How dare shouldn't, you? Shouldn't, you know? shouldn't work today. Definitely wouldn't work back then. Right? I know. It's just like <laughs> well, uh, I just want a crown and coke. Like, well, we don't have a, you know, we don't have either of those things. Like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of bar is this? Did your delivery so, not come today? What the fuck? Right. Wow. So crazy. So that's been like. I mean, that's certainly, I know a lot of people my age too like to like to get up and kind of like complain about how bars were better back then or whatever, but they really weren't, you know, they weren't, it, it was, you know, you had to like, you had to pick your bar based on uh, like other criteria because the drinks were all the same. Sure. But I, I also think that this could just be total conjecture on my part, but I've been going to bars for that long and longer. I think that. But back then, in the mid '90s, and and before, bars were more about socializing than they were about drinking. Yes. And the drinking that you were doing was more about getting socially lubricated, so you could nerve up and talk to a stranger or or someone of the opposite sex or some interest, uh, than they were about the drinks themselves. So it was really just a, a you know a means to an end. I think. I think that uh, like a lot of that shift too is that like people are drinking better drinks and fewer drinks these days where mm -hmm. like i mean people went to bar like can you cuss on this program absolutely fuck yeah absolutely diageo uh bar academy is not gonna get mad at me no definitely uh, not. fire you guys okay no, no, uh, you're good. but like people went to bars kind of to get fucked up yeah i mean i you know my, drug, my, was a drug dealer yeah, yeah. i mean my you know my my you know, results are a little bit skewed because I, I worked in a college town, but like, you know, now it's like you can go to a, you know, people can go to a nice bar, have like a couple of drinks and then kind of go on with their day, which is also really great. Sure. You hey, know, it's not I, like, it's not like everybody's, you know, it's not like everybody's not getting smashed, but like, I, I think everyone's heard me say it before. You know, I always have this joke where I say, let's talk about this tomorrow over lunch. I'm feeling fish. Do you want to go to La Bernadette or McDonald's? They both serve fish. Right. Right. It's like, what's your expectation? And I think right. back then bars were definitely more like, you know, think about like 
I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but like think about like the Regal Beagle on Three's Company. You know, like you kind of got a little bit dressed up because you were not really going there to just just tie it, tie it on. You're going there to meet people again, that social aspect, and then yep. you kind of got a little bit bombed. Like yeah. you know, it was kind of those two aspects. Yeah, and it's, I think there's nothing it's... wrong with that. Those bars still exist yeah. too, and they should, right? Yeah, but it is nice. It is nice that like you know bars are becoming. A little less shady, yeah. You know, uh, and and thanks to the work of like so many of us, that bars are being considered more of a culinary um, thing, which is what we've been fighting for for a really long time. You know, it's 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 maybe you know past fourteen months aside, bars are bars are better now. The bar industry is better. It's great. People are making I would say drinks that, at home. Yeah. Nobody made drinks at home. Nobody yeah. made cocktails at home. Like I didn't even make cocktails at home. I didn't I know. I still how. don't. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I still don't either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want a cocktail. I'm going out. I'm not doing all that. It's too much too, work and too, too many sticky. dishes. Yeah, it's, it's too sticky. <laughs> too much work and too many dishes to do. Simple syrup all over my fucking cabinets. Yeah, no chance, man. <laughs> not I don't even have simple syrup in my house. Like, yeah. <laughs> if I'm drinking here. It's right out of the bottle. Um, maybe without a glass. Right. Um, depending on the evening. Uh, yeah, so bars were radically different back then. And so I was in kitchens at that time, the same time you were in bars back then in, in 1996. I was still, you know, working as a chef. Um, and I think that even then, the restaurant uh, bars weren't tuning into the fact that there was a tremendous amount of potential revenue possibilities that come from bars. And I think that even still today, we go to nicer restaurants and they, they still don't have a decent cocktail on the menu or even a menu at all. Oftentimes you go into a very nice restaurant and you say, come see your cocktail and they don't even have one. So you have to just, that forces the guest, I think, to have to put the onus on themselves and be like, oh, uh, I guess I'll have a Rob Roy. You know, they don't even know what to ask for, right? Um, Do you have a, I've, I've always wondered about that. Like we've always had, menus since i've been doing like working in like fancy places where i've always had menus and part of me kind of wishes like we didn't have a menu but then i then i think like oh shit what would that be like that sounds harder it is harder i think you know i put it always on the guest for me and i'm not knocking places like attaboy that have a strong backbone of not having a menu but again that's a smaller space where they can get intimate with each person and quote they do have quote unquote a menu it's just not presented to you they're going to drive you in conversation to the things that they're ready to make, right? Right. Which is just good business. And also it's, it creates that that sense of intimacy that, you know, I'm not calling it fake at all, but it, it you know, they're not creating a brand new drink every time they make a drink, right? Right, um, of course. But I always put it on the guest side and I say, you know, it's easier to read a menu than to write one. And if I'm not offering a menu, then I'm asking my guest to write a menu, right? I think yeah. that's just too tough. Yeah, I've always wanted, you know, it's like, um, it's like sometimes, you know, you just get so tired of, of just like, just having to talk about the menu all the time. But then yeah. on the other hand, it's just like, I also don't want to like sit and have a, a five minute conversation with you about what flavor profile you're, you know, it's yeah. just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit exhausting. Listen, totally. You've put in your years. You can have some. Uh, you can have some grudges against some of these things, and I, <laughs> I, I have them too. You know, I'm like, let's yeah. just get to the meat of the matter here. Let's get a drink in your hand and talk about, I don't know, anything, sports, yeah. the stock market, uh, the weather today, anything. You know, let's yeah. be conversational like we used to be. Because uh, even in my time behind the bar, that that conversation with the guest has changed pretty dramatically. Um, yeah. But you know, I, again, I try and build places that are somewhat focused 
you know, just like I would when I was a chef, the joke that I constantly use there is I don't think I'd want to go to a restaurant that serves spaghetti and sushi and tacos, but I'd be totally interested in going to one that served only one of those things. Because right. They're, because they're being focused, you know, but then you say to yourself, let's go to the bar. You want a mojito. I want a French 75. He'll have a craft beer. I'd like a nice glass of wine. Like that's spaghetti sushi tacos to me, right? So you and I are not going to have dinner at Cheesecake Factory is what you're saying. Now for the Kitsch Factor, and I'm down with the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I already made the reservations, uh, Bring guys. me, Yeah, bring me over that tome of, of a menu you got, and I'll read through it for 45 minutes before I decide. It's so crazy. It's like, what, what do you want? Like, we have all of the foods. We literally have all of the foods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so the conundrum of the conundrum me. of choice. <laughs> I love chain restaurants like that do it well because I just love like watching and thinking about like logistics, you know, and just like how they how they do it. How do they do it? Like you know, I love the business side of it. I love like you know, I, I, a part of the reason why I love going to Disneyland so much. It's just like wow, how do Man. you do this every? single day of the year and it's so i think it's incredible. largely due to manipulation and not in the bad sense of the word they are masters places like disneyland and, and chain restaurants are masters at manipulating people through their time inside of the space that they've created I, and i think that they drive you to the right thing at the right time so mm -hmm. that you have the best possible experience in their space but they do it with a with very calculated yeah almost, it's somewhat and, and surgical so fascinated by and i Me just too. never really want to go to another place that where they don't have any fucking idea what they're doing you know they're, they're just like kind of all about these fancy ingredients that they bought and no idea how to like you know show you a good time yeah or drive you to the best possible time that they can offer yeah. yeah i think that's a that's a real skill and real um uh, you know, these those bigger places have definitely crafted that into their entire model um yeah we are pushing up on the halfway mark here. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Uh, we're going to come right back and keep talking to Jeff Morgenthaler. Uh, and I want to talk to you about your two books that have been out for a bit now and how they're doing and, and if you have plans for a next one. So stay tuned, everybody. So, Souther, it's how are you feeling about going back into bars, like actually being able to, like, have something that resembles the bar experience we all remember and know and love and right like signing sort of up to a bar itself and speaking to a bartender in person not through a, a, a second party yeah yeah it's, it's been uh, a long time coming and i'm happy to see it start to re-emerge me too man it's I, I, I don't know like i at the start felt almost it almost felt a little rusty like i wasn't good at sitting at the bar anymore <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same on the other side. When people approach me, I'm kind of like, hey, get away from me, in my mind. And then I have to say, wait, no, no, they're allowed. Okay, it's allowed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel, part of me feels like I, there's, like, that I need to do something to sort of brush up on it or or, or something, you know? It's like something to sort of shake the shake the, the, the rust off a little bit and do a stretch and, you know, get back into it. Well, Greg, I've got a great suggestion for you. You should you check do. out Diageo Bar Academy. They equip bartenders, servers, managers, and hospitality professionals with the insights, stories, and tools to be better. They're consistently raising the bar on industry standards. Well, that feels good because, you know, I mean, we've been saying this a lot on the show that it's, I, I think the best way back in is to sort of brush up on 
the classics. You know, I, I think this is definitely going to be a summer where people are going to want, you know, a classic daiquiri, a classic margarita, a classic Manhattan. And fortunately, there are lots of resources at the Agio Bar Academy of, you know, guides to make those classics really, really well and really nail those fundamentals for a summer where people are, I anticipate, going to be drinking a lot of cocktails. I think they're going to be drinking a lot of cocktails, and I think you're absolutely right about the classics. You know, I think after something like the, what we've all gone through together collectively, we're all seeking like comfort. You know, comfort food uh, is very common. I think comfort drinks are just as, uh, just as important. I absolutely agree, man. And uh, they've got some really great uh, training modules on there for everybody at any skill level. So if you're, you know, an industry veteran of 30 years, if you're just getting started out, if you have some, I can't remember how long I've been doing this for anymore, but you know, if you're like me and you just kind of feel a little bit rusty, like there's resources on there for everybody, which I think is super cool. Yeah, and the best part about it all, Greg, is that it's 100% free. So go ahead and check it out. At, yeah, 100% free. So go ahead and check it out. It's at uh, Diageo Bar Academy. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free, and you'll be amazed at all they have to offer. Check it out. And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Jeffrey Morgenthaler, 25-year veteran of bartending. Not just the service industry, bartending. And I didn't jump in too much in the first half of the show because 25 years ago, I was in the second grade. But... <laughs> oh my but, God. That's disgusting. <laughs> God, come I wasn't, I wasn't come going to good later. bars back then, man. Yeah, yeah where were still, you drinking? I was, still, drinking? I was still drinking High Life. Actually, I'm, no, that's a lie. I was drinking High Life's and then I became a craft beer snob. And now I'm I think you were drinking, drinking High see. I've well. come full yeah. circle. High Life. <laughs> Yeah. I was more of a Sunny D guy, thank you very much. No shit, yeah. Love that love that like real just that that pure like citric acid tickle the back of your throat flavor on it. Mm. 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 Can't the nineties, love them. Um but but this does bring me to an interesting question is like, you know, from what I've gathered, that was kind of what, you know, big boy drinking was like back in the day, too. And what did what was it like sort of being from a place like Eugene, Oregon and and working there for a while and watching these trends that we were just talking about in places like New Orleans, like New York, like San Francisco, watching them become something that was very you know, across the nation and kind of creep into these smaller markets and kind of say, whoa, where did, what, what, where did this come from? Like, I know about Manhattans. Do you know about Manhattans? Like, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, there was, there weren't a lot of resources, you know, there were, there were like three websites dedicated to this kind of stuff. You, you basically kind of like, you know, got a bunch of old books and, you know, I was heavily influenced by uh, the, cocktail website on the uh paul harrington's cocktail i guess you could call it a blog mm-hmm. on the you know that word hadn't been invented yet but um on the hotwired website which is now defunct but um you know i kind of learned and and there were other you know i i always talk about how um like the movie swingers and that <laughs> whole stay with me stay with me <laughs> i never left you i'm i'm with you let's go was was crazy influential on this because cocktails back then were like really tied up in this um this like swing dancing swing music 
movement uh trend or whatever yeah and like you know old bars and like big bands and old cocktails and people were kind of like would kind of like dress up in suits and 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 kind of look for the oldest bar in town and and it was all kind of tied up together so um and i was working at a place that was very like swingers-esque it was an old vfw hall and it was just this beautiful old bar and we had old like we had like big bands that would play like big big bands like big like jazz like swing bands would play there and and so it was all kind of tied up in in that you know like manhattans and martinis and sidecars and stuff were all kind of like looped in with this whole kind of new like craze so that's how it you know it's not like you got online and and found out what the beverage trends in new orleans were i mean that's just like that that's that sentence like wouldn't even really make sense back then <laughs> right didn't, didn't exist yet when did yeah. you because you're you you were and still are known for your blog um, yeah. When when did you kick that thing off, and and what inspired you to do that? Was it was it just simply there's a gap in in in, in the information flow out there, and I'm going to fill it, or no, not at all. Um, I started. It's kind of hard to say. I, I I've honed it down to like kind of 2004, but I was always really interested in like computers. I still am, you know, like I build them at home, and you know, it's just like just this dumb nerdy hobby that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I made my first website when I got out of school in 98 because I wanted to have like an online portfolio. And then the software, architecture, am I right? Architecture, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the uh, software came out so that you could like do this like blogging stuff, like a web blog. And I installed that and was just like putting pictures and just for fun, right? Just because it was like a new thing to to play with and then i started i just kind of started putting like our cocktail recipes from the bars working at on there and that's when like people started finding it from like all around the world you know because there mm-hmm. weren't back in the day there weren't 400 trillion cocktail recipes online they were right. like they were like very very few and as the years went on I was like, oh, this is a dedicated cocktail blog now. This isn't, I'm taking off all my personal pictures and all my, you know, whatever, like vacation photos. And I'm taking off all my my architecture stuff. And this is just like, this is all about bartending. Right. It went from Jeff Morgan Thaler's lifestyle to this is now about cocktails. This is now about cocktails, you know. And, and, And back in the day, back when I started, there were, there were like, 10 cocktail blogs in the world there was like jd boudreau paul clark um bobby hugel had a cocktail blog Derek mm-hmm. brown had a cocktail yep. blog yep. like um there were very few of us we all kind of knew each other too right it becomes a tight-knit community if there's so few you know everyone has to know each other yeah um, and tremendously influential especially for uh you know up-and-comers i think um and and then of course yeah boom now there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands and you have to weed through all kinds of bullshit but they're still yeah. um you know reputable ones that have been around for a long time up to and including yours that have you know genuine information that's been tested you know i think half the problem with most of the blog stuff that i read is i read through it and i'm like yeah they didn't test this 
No, you can um, tell just by looking at the <laughs> recipe sometimes, yep. huh? Yeah, absolutely. You're like, yeah, this isn't going to actually work the way that they're claiming that it will. Right. Um, so it's good to have like reputable sources out there. And I'm certain that all the time that you were maintaining your blog, I remember you used to get a little bit of shit because you wouldn't maintain it. And people were like, he's not, you know, Morgan blogger. He's not really blogging right now. I, got, um, I, I know. It's like, uh, I, I, I remember that. It's just like, okay, I'm a working bartender. So I'm right. 60 hours a week behind the bar. Uh, and also, I'm fuck also you, I don't writing, get any money for this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, yeah, I'm not getting any money for this. I'm also writing for Playboy and uh, Food Republic at the time. And now I'm writing for the Daily Beast. And I wrote two books. It's just like, you know, okay, I'm still pumping out. Like I pump, I've pumped out in the uh, nearly 20 years that my website's been up a lot of shit like yeah. you can go back and read the archives like <laughs> yeah this isn't sure. a this isn't my full-time job where i sit around and update my website every day and also those websites a lot of them are kind of garbage because it's just like you got you know they're posting filler like i don't put anything up there that i'm not super finalized and tested and you know like really proud of yeah, well, that's kind yeah. of the, the problem with the netflix model of just like there's no such thing as too much content and i'm waiting for people to realize that oh wait Yes, there is. Because, yeah, because I mean, we're looping all the way back to the the cheesecake factory men menu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, totally. There's too much content here, man. Trim it. Totally. And also, there's some things I just don't think anybody needs to hear from me on anymore. Like, I'm not going to write an article about the gin and tonic. There's four billion fantastic sure. articles about the gin and tonic. You can read one of those. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, you're you're also you've also been vocal over the years about your you personally consider yourself to be somewhat lazy. Um, yes. Can you, can you lean into that a little bit and how that's helped curate your content? You know, I s firmly believe that if you want something done, really, um, like if you if you kind of want like the best way to do something, you should you should consult a lazy person um, <laughs> because they're going to figure out how to do it with the least amount of and now and and I want to be clear that like me being lazy is not the same as me not uh caring about quality like i oh, i yeah, want 100 i want these things to taste the absolute best that they can but i also want to find the fastest most efficient powerful way to do it a great story is i remember when i moved to portland i went to my i stopped by for lunch at my friend's bar very famous bar and uh, he was in there and he had all these pomegranates <clears throat> and he was, uh, I was like, Hey man, let's go to lunch. He's like, ah, I can't, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I'm making grenadine today. So I gotta, I gotta take these pomegranates apart and get the, and I was like, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I, we cut the pomegranates and then we take the seeds out individually and then we put them in uh, a shallow thing of water and we simmer them to release the juice. And it's like really painstaking. And I was like, huh. And I just like grabbed one and I cut it in half and I put it in his like Hamilton beach, like stand juicer and mm -hmm. like squeeze, squeeze it. Is that that's squeeze is the past tense of squeeze. Indeed. Uh, yeah. And I squeezed it and all this just blood red juice came running out into the little cup. And he just looked at me like, what just happened you know and it's just like yeah it's like it's better and it's also the lazy way to do it you know yeah like you're getting better juice because you're not adding any additional water and also uh it takes 
fucking two seconds to do, you know, it's like, right. I mean, so, I would never, I would never call you lazy, but you self-proclaim that. But I understand that that means that you're just uh, putting in, frankly, more effort because that probably means you're testing multiple methodologies totally. to find the result that is both the best and the easiest. Totally. Yeah. And you have to, when you work in like high volume bars, you have to, you know, Oh my God. I think that's the biggest mistake that the home user has when they're trying to say to themselves, Oh, I'm just going to make this for, you know, myself and maybe a couple of friends versus like, yeah, I got to make that for 400 people a night, every night. (laughs) And that's the thing. That's the thing that we've, you know, we always ran into with, uh, with being high volume is, is whenever we put a drink on the menu, it was, it was a very, very, um, complicated, process to put a drink on the menu because you have to plan on either making one of those or 600 of those right in a night right and so you can't have you can't have a bunch of ingredients that are going to spoil because mm-hmm. you can't make four gallons of something planning on making 500 of these drinks but you only make two because nobody felt like ordering it that night mm-hmm. but you also it can't be you know so fussy that you know, you can't make six. It's it's just like this really fine balancing act. And, and I think that uh, that's always like served me really well because it uh, creative people love nothing more than a good set of constraints. Honestly. Oh, oh yeah. It really just makes you give me a nice small box that I can play in and I will come up with some really, truly incredible stuff. But if you just tell me, like, go off and do whatever it's all garbage, you know, Agreed. like I can't, you know, it's just like, I'm not, that's not what creativity is also. It's not just like wandering around, just doing whatever sounds interesting. It's working within those boundaries and making something really, really awesome. So that's, you know, having those constraints at work have always been uh, really good for me. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your books. Um, yes. One of them sort of more of a technical manual kind of for anybody of any skill level. Uh, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I wanted it to be was a manual. Yeah, no, I think of I think of it as that like a, like a automatically. Textbook. Yeah, I think um, you know I I was a contributing author to the book I'm just here for the food and we had this manual vision as well and we even made it so that the spine of the book when you opened it would lay flat and open so you could yeah open. totally so you could lay it down in the garage you know but in this case the kitchen or the bar so it can get wet it could get greasy we had the paper inside was made to be like you know sort of semi waterproof and. Yeah, that was our goal. So yeah, the bar book is the sort of manual that you wrote. And then then sort of again, kind of a, I don't know, it seems kind of like a personal book that you wrote in Drinking Distilled. And I'd like to hear your your words about both of them and and and, and how they're how they're doing for you. You know, Drinking Distilled was so fun because it was it was kind of a pitch from the publisher. They were like, look, we want a book that's like an opinionated uh, kind of like set of instructions for new drinkers, you know, dads and grads, right? Like, I mean, that's a thing, you know, that's, that's it's a market books that come out in May and June are pitched at dads and grads, you know, and, and, uh, and so that was the the thing. And I, and I kind of got to put my own spin on it, but I was like, you know, I want to do this, this like kind of fun manual, just like how to behave when there's alcohol around, whether you're in a bar or a barbecue or, or wherever you know a ball game like what are the rules of drinking what are the rules of drinking cocktails but also not do it in this this fucking old man snarky you know way that everybody would expect somebody to 
do it, especially somebody like me, right? You know, where it's like, I think a lot of people, if they wrote this book, they would just be like, you know, uh, what, you know, don't use expensive bourbon for whiskey sour because you're, you know, like those kind of rules, which are just so fucking boring and stale you know well, I like I, this. it has yeah. almost slightly punk rock angle to it where it's like yeah i know there are rules yeah i'm gonna question every single one of them and yeah i'm gonna break a lot of them yeah totally you know and i was like here's here's a rule stop assigning gender roles to drinks like that's the new rule new rule is like all of your like whiskey is for boys and pink drinks are for girls that's all done. That's fucking bullshit, right? So, like, the new rule, fuck your gender nonsense, right? Like, it was, like, stuff like that, you know? It was, like, let's, you know, uh, or, or barfing. If you got to barf, let's talk about how you barf in a bar, <laughs> you know? Because, hey, Important conversations no one else was having at the time, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guess what? I got news for you. I've been doing this in bars for 25 years. I cleaned up a lot of vomit. Mm-hmm. A lot of vomit. So I've got some opinions on how you should do it. Cause I've done it. I mean, we've all barfed at the Absolutely. bar, right? Like, yes. Any, anytime, uh, anytime I hire a air quotes veteran bartender and they ask me, what's that bag of kitty litter for in the basement? I'm uh, just like, oh, uh, yeah. it's like, you didn't actually work at half those places on your resume. Did you? No shit. I had a kid back when we were open till two in the morning and we were doing like late night happy hour and there were a bunch of dance clubs across the street. I had this kid sitting at the bar. Wasn't looking so good. I was already not going to serve him but he vomited into his small water glass and just like and all over the bar top and i just like i just looked i just looked and i was just like i fucking hate this job (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing about bartending is it's like i think a lot of people you know talk about just how how beautiful it is and how much they love it and 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 i do it is beautiful and i do love it but like sometimes I hate it. Like, and I think you have to, in order exactly. to have like a good Absolutely. relationship, you have to, you have to hate it a little bit. Like, you know, it can't just, you can't just always talk about what a, what a, what a uh, blessing it is to have challenging guests. You got to say like, Hey, sometimes this is fucking bullshit. I don't want to clean. I got a college degree. You think I want to clean up some kids vomit? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I never trust anybody who's just like, Oh my God, I love my job. I never work. I'm like, what the, like, what the fuck are you trying to sell me? Like right. every, uh, everybody you should, no matter if you really love something like, this is one thing that I've like come to, to, to learn in my uh, 32 years of being a human being. Um, loving shit is hard, man. Like loving something requires like maintenance and contra constant introspection and like reassessing where this thing fits in your life and what it's for and what it means. Like hating shit is easy. Like you can decide to hate something at like at age six and hate it pretty effortlessly for the rest of your life without really having to do any work. But like, and also to love like a thing or a job or a person, you have to see it completely and for what it truly is. And mm-hmm. like, there are going to be some things that you, you know, when you really see bartending, you're going to see some stuff that you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean you love it any less. You know, you just understand it more and you, lo- you probably love it more. Right. Yeah. Warts and all. You got you to see it warts and all. Yeah, warts and all. Exactly. How are the two books doing for you? They're first of all, I guess the question is, how old are they, and how are they doing for you? Um, 
The Bar Book came out in 2014. Jesus, was it that long ago? <laughs> great, man. It it actually achieved what I wanted it to, to achieve in that, like, it sounds like that in, in most good cocktail bars, it's, it's kind of one of the books that they give new bartenders and say, mm-hmm. read this, you know. And that was my, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I want to accomplish. I wanted... I really envision that book as as being a companion to the joy of mixology and mm-hmm. and and even told Gary that before he died, you know, that like I well, wanted, right. you you and he had a great relationship. So great I, relationship. I, I, yeah. I can and see I, that. And I wanted and I wanted like if you're a new bartender, I, I wanted you to pick up be able to pick up both those books and get ninety percent of what it took to make great drinks. You know, I think you certainly achieve books. that goal, but I would go further and say you you that book is also just as valuable a resource and tool for the you know the hobbyist. I don't think for you sure. have to be even any any level of professional bartender to, to get a hold of that book and really get into totally. it. Totally, and I and I wanted to talk to those guys too for sure because that's just like it. And that that book's doing great. Drinking Distilled is like uh you know I I, I kind of wish more people knew about it and just how like it's real it's a different book it's not a book on bartending it's a it's it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be funny and it's supposed to be like you know it's supposed to sit on the back of your toilet and and you read it and <laughs> laugh you know and and you know screenshot shot some pages and send them to your friend and just be like you remember when you did this you idiot you know like that yeah. kind of stuff uh and it was really great you know one of my favorite parts about that book is uh one of my bartenders, Samantha Gaston, she had left us and went off to be an illustrator. And uh, for a couple of years, she was working as an illustrator and, and, you know, doing okay. And when I got the book contract, I pitched her really, really, really hard to the, um, to the publisher and they hired her and so she did all of the illustrations and, uh, and they're charming as fuck i'm looking and at the book great. right now she's so super talented and and she and her husband were able to buy a house or put a down payment on a house because she got that so it's just like that's amazing it's a really like i i look at that book and i just think of like you know like that you know my team my peeps yeah, that's it. awesome, and it and it, and you can tell looking at it too how seamlessly like you know there's there is a sense of like real teamwork. It doesn't seem like the illustrations are grafted on. Like it seems like there was. Oh yeah, because she because she worked she and I worked together for years, so she knows me real well. You oh, know? you know someone you know someone very intimately if you work behind a bar. Like oh that. yeah, totally. You know, yeah. it's just like she's battery like, mates. Oh, well, I. Workfeller making another fart joke again. <laughs> well, I I loved drinking distilled when I picked it out because uh, I I don't I don't know if I've ever shared this, but the origin story for my other podcast Back Bar is mm-hmm. I was getting drunk with my friend one night and grousing about how like people don't know how to act in bars, and I was yeah. like I should just start a fucking podcast where I tell people like don't do this and don't do this and don't do that, and it just you know I mean how many times how many thousands of people have gotten drunk and said, I should start a podcast. But I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, I bet if we like told some really interesting stories and worked some history in there and really kind of took an interesting angle, we could sort of Trojan horse some etiquette tips in there. And we gave up on that very quickly because I, I, I went to my friend, my producer Keegan at the time and I was like, People aren't going to want to listen to something where, like, I just harangue them and tell them what to do. Like, there's no way to make this no, fun. No, you got to no you got to offer. Interesting. You got to offer like, 
you know, you got to offer something up. Like, you know, in the in Tricky Distilled, I talk about like, don't don't send the lady a drink at the end of the bar. That's yeah. you know, don't do that. But then offer up some like, you know, well, here's here's how you can, you know, nobody she doesn't want you to do that. But you know, try try this, you know, or whatever. But you know, like offer up some sort of alternative. Yeah, and I and I enjoyed picking up your book and kind of having a moment of like, oh, I was wrong. There there was a way to actually put all these <laughs> tips out there and make them fun and accessible and not feel like you're being lectured for however long it takes you to read the book. I know nobody wants that, do they? Yeah, they, nobody wants to be told that everything they do is is totally wrong. Well, yeah, nobody wants to be. <laughs> Some people should by their podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's the thing if we can just if we can just make. You know, if we can just make people just a little bit more, a little bit better at behaving in bars, you know, it's just going to benefit us all and it's going to benefit them. It's true. I I talk about um, uh, at one point I talk about and I wish I had gotten this in the book, but uh, I talk about how, you know, there's like kind of a time and a place for for every drink. And 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 you don't you know, like drinking a Manhattan with breakfast is just like, eh. Right. And I didn't I didn't get to expand on it. And I ended up doing this this uh, talk down in Austin and and they took it really um, negatively. They did not like being to they were like, well, I'll drink a Manhattan with breakfast anytime I want. And I don't mess with Texas, man. I guess so. Yeah. But I explained it like this. It's not that you can't. It's not that you're not allowed to. I'm saying you're not allowed to. It's more like this. Okay. So you, you meet somebody, uh, however you meet somebody and you, you go on a couple of dates with them. Right. And you know, you, it's, it's been a few dates. You go get a nice dinner, you go back home and you guys spend your first night together. Right. And in the morning, that person gets up and whispers in your ear, don't get up. I'm going to make you breakfast in bed. And you're like, oh, this is fantastic. So you kind of go back to sleep. And then they come in with a tray and they've cooked for you a full Thanksgiving dinner for breakfast, right? Turkey, gravy, mashed potatoes, (laughs) like fucking green bean casserole, all this shit (laughs) at eight o'clock in the morning, right? It's not that they're not allowed to do that. It's that they're sending you a signal that they're a fucking psychopath. And I think that if you're <laughs> a clear if message, you, yeah, you, they want to wear your skin as a suit, right? So you should get the fuck out of there really fast. And I think that that's the thing about these drinking rules is like, you know, don't drink a Manhattan with breakfast. It's like, yeah, you can, but you're also sending a signal to everybody else in the bar that you are completely insane yeah. you know and you've got and some like, issues that are running deeper than whatever this breakfast is all about totally <laughs> totally so that's what that's what these rules are about it's not like you know don't do this because i find it annoying it's hey here's some tips to to get you through society so that everybody doesn't think you're a complete fucking lunatic <laughs> here's how you don't come off as the unabomber in public right yeah uh, well, I fucking, for one, really, really enjoyed reading that book. As mentioned earlier, I laughed out loud more than once, and that's uncommon when you're reading a book about drinks and drinking. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I think, you know, uh, I think it should be on the back bar of every bar uh, that oh, has thanks. the bar manual. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's a good, fun read, and it, it's also quite enlightening in a very um, 
humorous way. You know, there's, I think, you know, we, we can all agree, I think that there's, there's little better way to deliver information to someone than through humor um, and have them pick up on it. You know, like your bit about gendered glassware is humongous in there. Um, obviously, you know, a little bit about uh, drinking in the morning. I, I remember something about mimosas being in the book. Um, and, you know, just the, 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 the bit about, uh, you know, drinking scotch with or without ice and uh, or adding water and where all those rules come down. And then the end of it just being like, oh, fuck it, man, just drink it how you like it. Right. Totally. And I think totally. that's the point. It's like it's good to know that there maybe are some established norms, but you can fucking break them if you want. There's no one who's going to come in and lock your ass up, you know. <laughs> right. right. Nobody gives a shit how you like your scotch. Well, but, it goes but back at least, to that. But, but at least be able to understand that somebody might might say, hey, you know, try it like this. This is how it's kind of meant to be drank. But even then, fuck it, you know, drink it how you want it. It's the, it goes back to that thing of, of having like a little box to play in, you know, when you know what the rules are, you know, you can, you can go in and kind of play with them and break them. You know, it's like, absolutely it's like how I was able to like, you know, hack the Amaretto sour, like, because the, you know, it's like the rule was Amaretto sour is bullshit. You should never, ever have one. I think and the I, rule the rule is if someone orders an Amaretto sour, I have to ID them. That's my yeah. rule. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck that. Amaretto sours are delicious. How about, you know, let's let's go, let's go in and like play with the rules. You know, let's sure. like because I, I understand that your snobby, you know, cocktail nonsense says that anybody that orders an Amaretto sour is an idiot, but like, I don't know. What if what if you what if it was delicious? <laughs> right. What if you made it delicious? I think that that's also a challenge that you've undertaken numerous times. You're kind of also known, you know, for the many things you're known for in your lengthy career. You're known for taking drinks that are maybe a little bit forsaken and updating them and making them uh, appeal to the modern palate, right? Yeah, because there's no, there actually aren't really many bad drinks. There's kind just of agree. shitty ways of making them. You I, know, it's like, I kind of agree. yeah, Amaretto's, Amaretto sour made with like cheap Amaretto and sour mix. That is gross, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the same. In the, you know, I, again, my my career in the kitchen has certainly, you know, tainted the way that I view everything in, in a positive way. I think, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, yeah, I can get some, you know, cheap pressed ham, and I can get some, uh, you know, American cheese and some Wonder Bread, and I can make a ham and cheese sandwich that's not great. Or I can get delicious ham, a delicious baguette, some great cheese, and I can make a ham and cheese sandwich that's great. Those are both mm. ham and cheese sandwiches. Um, totally. It's just how did I go about building it? And then I can draw some lines in there and say, you know what? I actually kind of prefer shitty craft singles, so I'm going to still stay with those. But I'm going to get this better ham and this better yeah. bread and make my own mayo. Like you can go high-low in there, and I think you do that a lot as well yeah. um, with drinks. And I think that that's what becomes you know, the, the fun and appealing and, and to some degree challenging in a way that, that keeps you interested in a job that you've been doing for 25 years. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, and there's it gets into a much larger conversation about this like idea of like quality. I, I get into it with lesser experienced bartenders all the time about how, you know, it's it's about the final product. It's not about every single ingredient mm -hmm. being the very best ingredient. Like some drinks are not great with super high quality. It's like a, a craft singles, right? Like American cheese melts better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, give me the option of American cheese on a burger versus any other cheese. I'm almost always going American. <laughs> I always, I always go American. Yeah. Um, but like, it's, 
and, and that's and that's a that's a choice based on you know years of knowledge you know that that american cheese melts better and it's going to make for a better burger you also know that you know you're not buying shitty meat right because right. that isn't better there's no there's no scenario where that is better like right. and so knowing how to make those make those decisions is like that's where that's where experience comes in for sure um, well, we're sadly at the end of this. I really enjoyed having, having a great and casual conversation with you <laughs> that, uh, t- you know, takes our minds off of, uh, a lot of the things that are going on in the world right now. And, uh, you know, you've been on before and I hope to have you on again and again and again and again. And I hope your career spans another 25 years, if that's what you want it to do. Totally. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see what comes next from the mind of, of Jeff Morgenthaler. Um, Jeffrey, how do people get in touch with you if, if you, if they want to, and if you want them to, <laughs> People, uh, do people... I want people to get in touch with me? Let me I mean, here, here. Let me give you my phone number. Yeah. Just if anybody has any complaints, especially complaints yeah, uh, or criticisms, uh, just send me a text. No, uh, I mean I'm I'm on Instagram at Jeff Morg N M O R G E N, and then mm-hmm. of course my website is JeffreyMorganTeller.com. Awesome. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I look forward to whatever comes next for you. I look forward to more writings from you on the Daily Beast. Uh, you yeah. just put out an article recently, a couple of days ago, or maybe even was it just yesterday? I just yesterday, saw it. Yesterday, yeah. Um, that looks like a pretty good read, so I'm going to dig into that. Uh, oh, I and, hope you will. And of course, we're all always expecting and hopeful that you'll write another book to to get some more of your uh, insights and knowledge out to us and and, and share share that stuff I'm with the world. Thinking about it, I promise. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it too. Oof, yeah. it's tough yeah. though. <laughs> it's a commitment. It's a painful process. It's a long, painful process. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it for this week's episode of The Speakeasy. Uh, please uh, log on to heritageradionetwork.org to check out many more shows just like this one. Log on, log on and tap on the beating heart up in the right-hand corner. Uh, that's uh, how you go to donate to the station. We're a nonprofit, so all your donations keep shows like this one on the air. So we appreciate your support, and we look forward to seeing you soon. So stay tuned, and cheers. Cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.